Right out of high school, I went to the University of Dayton for a year, and while I was there, and really the summer on either side of it, I had maybe one of the greatest college jobs ever. I worked for the campus post office, went around and delivered all the mail and all that sort of thing. My older brother got me the job there, and so he trained me when we were there, and it actually it worked out incredibly well. My dad was on the grounds crew, so we'd ride down with him during the day, in the morning, and then come back with him in the afternoon. And I still very vividly remember my first day working for the post office. So we get into the mail room and all the mail comes in in the morning. And the first job is to sort the mail. And there's just all of these names, these departments. I don't know where anything is. And my older brother could just pick up a piece of mail and it would say, you know, let's just say it, it was, you know, Mark Jones. And he's like, oh, he's a sociology professor, you know, this Phyllis whatever. And oh, she works in the admissions office. He knew every employee on campus. It was remarkable. And then we went out and we delivered the mail. So we're going from office to office, you know, we go to the law library, housing, biology, all those different things. And every single department we walked into, it was, oh, it's your first day. You're Josh's brother. Oh my gosh, I hope you're so much like him. We just love him. I almost got sick that day. It was awful. Gosh. And, uh, and so we get the mail, you know, deliver the mail, you pick up their outgoing mail, and then we come back and run the postage meter, you know, put the postage, correct postage on all the mail. So he showed me how to do that. So I learned a ton that first day. So the first day we hop back in the car, and uh, my dad, you know, how was the first day? It was good, it was fine. And my dad says, well, I guess you're going to get home really fast. What are you talking about, dad? Evidently, while I was standing at the postage meter trying to learn how to do this, my brother had figured out how to take priority mail stickers and flick them onto my back while I didn't even feel it so that my entire back was covered with priority mail stickers as I walked out of my first day of work. It's a funny story, but when, you think, when I think about my older brother, that story perfectly encapsulates who he is. It's like a perfect uh, summary of everything that you have to know about him. First, he's ridiculously competent in everything he does. Like watching him sort that mail, he is good at everything he does. He's just incredibly just quick learner. And then he's very, very personable. He makes a great first impression. He's got a great personality. And so as we're delivering mail, like it makes sense that everybody loved him. He's also a great mentor. Right now he mentors rookie cops down at his, his police department, so he's great at showing me the ways. But he's really, really mischievous. Like he's always looking for an opportunity to pull one over your eyes or to kind of to, to turn a phrase or whatever it may be. So this just like perfectly encapsulates who he is. That this is it's a great summary, kind of boils down my brother in a nutshell. And we all like this, right? We like stories or, or su brief summaries, you know, just give me the highlights if we miss something. We don't need all of the details. And this Sunday's gospel does a great job of boiling down, of giving a summary of the Old Testament. It basically gives the, just like the short version in story form of what happens in the Old Testament. And this parable that Jesus gives starts with the landowner. He creates this vineyard. He builds it. He digs the ditch. He builds the tower. He digs out the wine press. He does everything to get this, uh, this vineyard started. Just like at the story of creation, as our, the Lord does everything himself. He creates the animals. He puts the stars in the sky. He puts the vegetation, everything from the oceans to the trees. The Lord starts everything. 
And then the landowner in the, in the parable hands it over. He's created this, par- this vineyard, and then he turns it over to the tenants, to his workers who are going to work it. Just like our Lord in, at the start of creation turns over, the, uh, turns over the Garden of Eden to Adam, to Eve, and then hands over all of creation to, all, to the, everybody else in the Old Testament. He turns it over. In the parable, those servants seize the opportunity. They take advantage of what's been given to them, and they kind of, they don't do so hot in being tenants of the vineyard. You know, they turn wicked. Just as the Old Testament goes on, God's people become less faithful, let's just say. You know, they worship a golden calf. They start to complain in the desert. They try to persecute the prophets. So things turn, turn a bit sour. So in, this, in the parable, the, the landowner decides what he's going to do to remedy it is he sends his servants. They're not coming to him with the, vintage, with, the, uh, with the harvest, so he's got to send his servants to go get the harvest. Of course, they kill him, they do away with him. In the Old Testament, God sends his prophets, and the prophet's job is to bring people back to the Lord, to call them back to faithfulness, to fidelity. And then at the end, the vintage owner, he sends his son. He sends his own son into the vineyard, and of course, they kill him. Of course, at the end of the Old Testament, on the cusp of the New, as it turns into the New Testament, God sends his own son, Jesus Christ. Of course, the same thing happens to him. He dies for our sins. So this parable just gives this beautiful condensation of the gospel, just boils it down to the essentials of the Old Testament, which sometimes, you know, there's so much of it, it's tough to grasp the whole thing. But our Lord today gives the basics of it. And we like this as human beings. You know, we like just, just give me the important things, hit the highlights if we miss something. We don't need the whole story, even, you know, like watching a, you know, watching a three and a half hour football game where you can just watch, watch the Sports Center highlights. So we like this. And we like this in our spiritual life too. We like to just get, get the basics, to get the, just tell me the essentials. And one of the most tried and true ways in our faith to get the essentials of our spiritual life is the rosary. In October, we celebrate the month of the Holy Rosary, and it gives us a summary of the gospel. It gives us a compendium of the gospel, just the the basics of what our Lord is all about. I had a friend, somebody I knew, who just kept always, he had his phrase, he kept saying, pray the rosary, learn the gospel. That if we prayed the rosary, we would learn the essence of the good news of Jesus Christ. Because the rosary is ultimately a devotion centered upon Jesus. We might not always think that, but the center of the rosary is Jesus Christ. Back in 2002, St. John Paul II wrote this great letter about the rosary, and he starts it off by saying, the rosary, though clearly Marian in character, so clearly Mary in character, is at heart a Christocentric prayer, so a prayer centered on Christ. In the sobriety of its elements, it has all the depth of the gospel message in its entirety. So he says it's got a Marian flavor, the rosary, but it's centered upon Jesus Christ. He's the heart of it all. And we know this as we pray those mysteries, those 20 mysteries of the rosary, so many of them kind of in our stained glass windows here, that it starts with the annunciation of Gabriel to Mary to say you're going to be with child. And then he moves the mysteries of the rosary through his birth, through his public ministry, baptism in the Jordan, the the Last Supper, all the way to his suffering, to his death, and then the good news of his resurrection. So it puts us through the essentials of the face. It puts us through the life of Jesus Christ. And the beauty of it all is we get to see Jesus 
through Mary's eyes. We get to see Jesus. We ask Mary to show us her son. And nobody knows a son as good as mom. So we ask Mary to show us the face of Christ, to show us what he's about, to show us what these moments of his life, these essentials of his life were all about, that she shows us these central mysteries of Jesus's life. And another way that the rosary is centered upon Jesus Christ is that rhythm of the Hail Mary. And the Hail Mary, the center of it all, is the name of Jesus. The center word of that is, think about it, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. It's that hinge, the name of Jesus, is the focal point of that whole prayer of the Hail Mary. And even if you've ever been out uh, to Freiburg for Mass, and one of the guys who leads the rosary puts so much emphasis on the name of Jesus that you can never forget his distinctive way of praying the rosary, but it's, but it's beautiful because it centers us on who is important, and it gives us the essentials of our faith. And so often we have this great opportunity and great practice to pray the rosary for specific intentions. October is also a month de- dedicated to pro-life causes. So we pray a rosary for an end to abortion, or maybe for our country, especially as we near an election, or for f- our families, our vocations, maybe a, a sick relative. But we can never lose sight that the center of the rosary is to see the face of Christ, is to allow Mary to guide us, to direct us so that we can see him, so that we can come to better know, love, and serve Jesus. And one of the most beautiful things about the rosary is just how flexible it is. It's so adaptable to so many different things. Maybe that means individually, or maybe you have 10,000 people together. No matter what, you can still pray a rosary. Or maybe you're at home or at church on the way to work or out for a walk around town. You can still play the rosary in all of those different places. Or maybe you don't have 15 to 20 minutes to sit down and pray five decades of the rosary, but maybe you have two and a half minutes first thing in the morning and two and a half minutes at lunch to pray another decade, and you can break it up throughout the day. So it's just incredibly flexible. And even if you're the smartest person to, ever, to one of the smartest people in the past hundred years, like John Paul II, or even if you're completely illiterate, the rosary still has incredible benefits, no matter what spectrum in that we fall on. And then something beautiful that's happening in town next Saturday, a parishioner's organized a public rosary rally at Harmon Park next Saturday. So if you can make that, that's a, that's a great opportunity. And if you can make it, go for me because I have a wedding and, and can't make it. But it's a beautiful thing to dedicate ourselves to the rosary because Mary guides us to see her son. She doesn't take any of the glory for ourselves, but wants to introduce us to Jesus Christ. And so hopefully this month of October, we can recommit ourselves to the gift of the rosary because it gives such a beautiful summary of Jesus. It gives such a beautiful summary of who he is and what he's done for us, of his entire life. And we allow in the rosary, we allow Mary to show us Jesus Christ and give us that boiled down version of the gospel. So hopefully this October, we can pray the rosary so that we can better learn the gospel.